Thank you, Brother Borders. You may be seated. Sorry to be late, but I was a little sick baby. I was trying to minister to it when I come up, and the parent was there very much tore up about it. And so I was praying for the little baby and some handkerchiefs that I was had been brought to me to be prayed over. You believe in that ministry, praying for oh, Yes, we sure do. Now we are indeed deem this a grand privilege to be with you fine people here on this island this week from all from Porto Bernia and here at Victoria. And I was so grateful last night, my heart ached within me that we only had three days to be here, one more day, when I seen what happened last evening, to see the entire group confess their wrongs and come up to make restitution. Now that that means that there is a great possibility of a, a great sweeping revival across this island here that God could, could, would grant it. I believe that he will, if we'll just believe him and have faith that he will, that he will do it. Now, I thank uh, Brother Bisco, uh, Eddie, as I know him, a real precious boy. I really fell in love with this young lad when I met him at, up at Dawson Creek. My first time was Grand Prairie, but he was at Dawson Creek at the time, and I met him there. And, and uh, he was telling me about he was missionarying to the Indians. And I said, Eddie, uh, I'm coming up to Canada again one of these days, and I'll drop in and see your friends. He said, just fine. So he told me, he said, some of the brethren said, might drop by Victoria, split the dates from up at there. And, and he said, but they're going to have a, a meeting down there, a convention. I was sorry of that, but I want to say I apologize for coming in that time, Brother Borders and myself and all of us. If some of the brethren would happen to be present, we didn't want to move in or help render your convention, but just to pray for the sick people as we pass through. And I want to say you've got some fine people. We've loved it. This is the ending of a 11 straight services from here without any rest and my voice is just about gone it's so much gone until here is the context that i was going to speak on this afternoon paradox and coming up out there something said you just haven't got the voice to do it so i chose something else and um this has been since may that i've been in meetings i was in green bay michigan and from there to chicago illinois up to southern pines North Carolina, down to Columbia, South Carolina, over to the Cow Palace at Los Angeles, and from there up to Santa Maria, from there to Grass Valley, from Grass Valley to Spokane, from Spokane back down to Salem, from Salem over here and here. I'm getting tired. Now, just the preaching doesn't bother me. I'm getting a little hoarse because I think just so much speaking, but it's the visions that bother me. One of those is more than 10 hours you preach the top of your voice. Just one. It'll do that much to you. Being first time with you and your great faith to respond around that, I certainly am grateful to you. God ever bless you. I don't know. There was some expense tied to the meeting, I believe. And I told Eddie, just when I come over here, I said, Now, Brother Eddie, don't even mention offering. I said, our, our church at home will take care of it because we're strangers uh, and to take care of it. And I understood that he did take an offering and or something other. Than to, and I said, if he did, just apply it to the expenses. 
We won't leave any debts. We never have did it yet. We never believe in begging people for money. We, I, I've been in the ministry going on 32 years and never took an offering in my life. That's right. When, and today, I'm, I'm paid for my church $100 a week. And uh, you know how we have to live by that. But thank you. Our Lord didn't have a place to lay his head. That's right. See? So he had one garment when he was here. Somebody give it to him. And so I don't think that it's becoming Christians to try to uh, compare with the world, to be, uh, you know, swanky, as we call it down in the States, and put on a lot and have the very best. Well, I believe we could always take the least is the, is the best way. He did. He is a God of glory, came down without a place to lay his head. And I think that's the way we want to live. And many people know with this type of ministry, my, if you was a renegade, you could be a, why, you'd be a multi-millionaire. And I'd be afraid to write you a check this afternoon, my personal account for over $200 or 30 It was sure balanced, I'm telling you that. But uh, the thing of it is, we're not out here for money. We're out here to try to help the kingdom. I'm not out here to condemn any church, any organization, anything. A lot of times you hear me rap at it, but it's not the organization that I'm rapping at. It's that sin in there that's what I'm rapping at. If I seen you going down a river in a little boat, and that boat was leaking, and there was a big falls below you, rapids, and I knew that boat wouldn't make that falls, them rapids, and me screaming at you and rebuking you and trying to get you out of there, it isn't because I don't like you. It's because I do like you. I love you. See, uh, faith and love is corrective. You see, it, it corrects. If you had your little baby sitting out here on the street and you know the traffic swinging by there, would you say, Junior, dear, I think you should come in. That's just about the way some ministers try to correct their congregation. Why, if you was a real mother or dad, you'd go out there and get him in out of there. If he went out again, you'd have your stick the next time in your hand when he went after him. That don't show you don't like the child. It shows you love the child, you know. And I'm not hollering at you. I know the boat ain't going to make the riffle down there. I'm trying to get you. That's what I'm after. And that's why I think about organized religion. Not that I got anything against the individuals. It's the system. The system that's keeping brotherhood apart. They say, I'm Presbyterian and we don't have nothing to do. I've been in the hospital and start in a ward and start to pray. I said, would you people bow your heads? We are Methodists. I said one time to a woman, are you a Christian? She said, I give you to understand I burn a candle every night. Like that's got anything to do with Christianity. And uh, one said, what? One of them said, a Christian said, I'm an American. <laughs> That's not a very good testimony for Christianity, I'll say that. And so that has nothing to do with it. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot even see, that is, understand the kingdom of God. And I'm very zealous of the people. I'm zealous of the church. And when I see twisting organizations, twisting the people apart and separating and making them different, and then that same group become cooling off towards the word of God and things. That, it's nothing I got against them. I'm trying to sh- take the word and shake it back together again. I was ordained one time in the Missionary Baptist Church. And when I was called into the ministry here, to uh, just because the, the Missionary Baptist, is, it's not an organization. It's just a fellowship. You just belong to it. 
It's like an interdenomination. You can preach anything you want to. As long as you live a clean life, you can be a missionary Baptist. You, immorals is the only thing that puts you out. As long and then their baptism, they believe that the water baptizes you into the fellowship and the spirit baptizes you into the body. And so, therefore, no matter how you've been baptized, you've got to be rebaptized to be a Baptist. As far as it's into the fellowship, see. And now, and then I found when I mentioned this about the angel of the Lord to my brethren, well, they thought I'd lost my mind. But I said, if God has sent me to do such, there's somebody to receive it. Now, when I come among the Pentecostal people, it's like putting a glove over a cold hand. See, it fits just right. Then when I come to find out they were broke up in organizations, fussing among one another, uh, I wouldn't join any of them, but I stood right in the breach and saying, we are brothers. See, we are brothers. We mustn't fuss at one another. Well, as long as we're fussing at one another, the devil's sitting back laughing. He's got us. Let's put our shoulders and efforts together like onward Christian soldiers. All the organizations standing together for one thing, the Word of God. That's it. Under the blood of His Son, Christ Jesus. Let that banner wave. I know last night, different times, I've tried to keep the messages just as simple as I possibly could and get them to see. And if they'll just believe that little simple message, God will lead them on. And um, uh, I get some, I, people think I get excited when I go to preach, but I'm not excited. I know right where I'm standing, but I just get the feeling good. And so... Somebody says, you're crazy. Well, if I am, just let me alone. I feel better that way than do the other way. So, just, <laughs> just reminds me. Of, some of them say, well, we're the old church. We was the first. We yeah, I have a little story one time about my children. I'm a father, and I, I love my children. Billy, my son, his mother died when he was just a little fellow, and I've been... Papa and Mama both to him. I'd pack him around him crying for a mother, no mother to give him. And that was for several years till he got old enough to go to school and I, out in the meetings. I couldn't take care of him. So I remarried again and we've had three children. I got two little girls and a little boy. Rebecca, a few years ago, she's the oldest. She's kind of skinny, long-legged. And Sarah come along. She's a little short. And Becky's a blonde and Sarah's a brunette. Becky has big blue eyes and blonde hair, and Sarah, more like her mother, kind of dark-headed and dark-eyed. And so they're both daddy's girls. <laughs> so then uh, they wait for me, yet when I come in, I've been out in meetings and I was so tired, but they were waiting. Every plane went over, they'd say, Daddy's coming now, but not too late. After a while, they had Sandman got in their eyes, you know, so mother put them to bed. She waited and the plane was delayed. I got in about one o'clock in the morning. After coming out of meetings like this, it gets so tired, I can't sleep. And so uh, I was telling Billy, come over, he said, Daddy, you look so tired. I said, but Billy, I must put every effort. He said, why don't you go over there and just don't speak to the people and just say, I'll pray for the sick and run the prayer line as you promised them. And don't speak. I said, Billy, he said, there's not many people there, Daddy, a little bitty meeting. I said, I would put the same effort there if there's a hundred thousand, see. I said, because I'm duty-bound by the love of God that constrains me to his church. And I've often thought what I would do with two drops of the literal blood of Jesus Christ in a glass. What, how I'd hold it. I certainly won't, wouldn't want to spill it. I'd hold it to my chest and up to my heart and say, Lord God, how I appreciate this blood. But in his sight, I have a greater this afternoon. I've got the purchase of his blood before me. He loved you better than he loved his own life. And then how should I treat you? Honest, sincerely, 
and sin I must call out no matter how bad it hurts you or I. I must do everything that I can to be honest and upright and a servant to Christ. Back with my story. The little girls, they had, I couldn't sleep, so I just got up, went out in the living room and sat down in a chair. And about daylight, I heard down the children's room, the bed turned a little bit, and Becky woke up. She looked out and she seen it was daylight. Off went the cover and down through the hall she come real quick. She seen me sitting there. And little Sarah woke up when Becky got up. And Sarah's a little bitty fellow then, about four years old. Becky is about eight, nine. So uh, Sarah, our children wear hand-me-downs. You know, one from the oldest gets something and it goes on down through the family. So Sarah was wearing Becky's pajamas. And she said, I'm rabid rabbit-footed pajamas, big, and that little bitty foot of Sarah's and Becky's big-footed pajamas. And so she couldn't keep up with her and that big rabbit feet flopping, you know. And Becky beat Sarah to me. And so she jumped up on my lap, threw both arms around my neck, and began to holler, Daddy, of course, that makes your heart swell out. And uh, she turned around, and Sarah was just getting around, and them little black eyes are coming, and as hard as she could. And she seen Becky had beat her. And a poor little fellow, she just seemed so disappointed. So she looked around, Becky looked around, and she said, Sarah, my sister, I want you to know something. She said, I was here first. <laughs> That's what the big church tries to tell us. I was here first, and I've got all of daddy, and there's none left for you. Oh, my, poor little Sarah it hurt her so bad, you know. Her little lips got to quivering, her big black eyes colored up a little. She started to turn around. I motioned my finger to her like that and stuck out my leg. So here she come, her eyes brightened up, and she come and straddled my leg, but she was kind of topsy-turvy, as we call it down there. She, her, she hadn't been here very long like the young church, you know. She was kind of uh, unbalanced. <laughs> so, uh, and I keep her from falling. I put my arm around her and hugged her up close to me. She lay there a little bit, and she turned her little head, looked up to her sister. She said, Rebecca, my sister, <laughs> said, it may be true that you've got all of Daddy, but I want you to know one thing, Daddy's got all of me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way I feel about it. I may not have the education, the qualification as a minister should have, but one thing I know, I may be a little topsy-turvy, but I want him to have all of me. As long as he's holding, that's good enough for me. And now, thank you for your fine support. It's getting late. I, I know you have your services tonight. God bless you. And now, if ever if I can be a favor to you, write me. I'm not trying to get your address. No. Many times that's a publicity stunt at... I, I don't even, I've got one secretary and one little uh, desk sitting at the end of a trailer, and that's how we're trying to answer letters. But it's the idea, if we can help you, don't, prayer cloth, I'll be glad to send you one or anything I can. No charges, there's no charges to nothing. Uh, many times we know it, said, write me, and then the first thing you know, you keep building, building, you know how it is like that, because man has to have that support of the people to put, tell a, a telecast on and radio message. I don't have any of those things. I don't need money. Uh, I, uh, how could a man like our most gracious brother Oral Roberts ever come to a meeting like this when he has to have around ten to fifteen thousand dollars every day? How could he do it? He couldn't. It's all. He couldn't do it. So therefore, I thank the Lord. 
Uh, he never, he, he, he's smart and he's all, all wisdom. I ain't got gumption enough to do that. So I just stayed, just like to stay Brother Bill and go on wherever he leads me. If it's a little bitty place where there's nothing, I, I go there. If he led me to Africa, I went there for two or three hundred thousand people. Went over to India, five hundred thousand. But somehow somebody just comes by and pays it off. And away we go. So I just live by faith, that's all. And so I can go anywhere he calls me. No matter where it is, I can go, see. Because I have, if I had to worry about getting up fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars a day, my... I'd be more bald-headed than I am now. <laughs> Speaking of bald-headed, a little joke on my wife. You're not long ago, I was calming them two or three hairs, you know. And she said, Billy, you're almost completely bald-headed. I said, but I haven't lost a one. She said, pray tell me where they are. I said, all right, sweetheart, I will. When you tell me where they was before I got them, wherever they was then, they're waiting for me to come to them. For the Bible said he had not our hairs of our head were numbered, he had raised everything up. Nothing lost. I believe in a God that will raise us up in the last days. Yes, sir. Oh, I would like to talk to you on that for a while this afternoon to set your faith on that resurrection. See that great picture laying in there, how beautiful it is, how the old changes back to young and and how that God made a promise and confirmed it through Sarah and Abraham to turn them both back to a young man and woman. And show what he's going to do to all their seed after him. And so, oh, it's beautiful. And one of these days, God willing, and if you don't mind and, we'll, and, and you'll let me come back, I'd like to come back on an island, set up a tent somewhere, stay four or five weeks or something. So we just have plenty of time. So thank you. Thank you very much. That makes me feel so welcome. And I... I would do anything. See, many people doesn't understand divine healing just right. I can be right here, but running through like this, and the first thing you know, the unbelievers get around the believers and try to uh, explain it off, and you know, and and the first thing you know, sickness strikes a person. They don't know just after they've been prayed for, and they think, oh well, I lost my healing. Sometimes that's a very sign you got it. See, and you. And they don't know how to take a hold of it. And if we could just sit down, when the sickness reoccurs or something, you could come back. We could sit down before the Lord in a special place where each individual, we could see just what happens. These visions that happens, you're, you're doing that yourself. That's just little temporary visions, like you're touching Him. But the real visions are when God shows what will be and what has been, what's coming on and so forth like that. Now the Lord ever bless you and make you healthy and happy and pray for me now. Let us bow our heads while we ask God's blessings. I'm intending this afternoon to pray for all the sick people in a line that will pass through. Have you a request that you'd like to make known by raising up your hand? Thank you and God bless you. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the fellowship and time that we have had together in this lovely gathering with the church of the living god those out of different denominations and walks of life have assembled together to worship you again this afternoon we're grateful for this for the faith that was once delivered to the saints might be restored again in the last days as it's been prophesied so we pray your blessings upon each and every request. God bless this people. And may sickness just completely depart away from them. 
May the pastors hear their congregation testifying weeks from now that the, the stomach troubles and pains and sickness that they had has passed on. They don't have them no more. How thankful we'll be to that, Lord. And you've always done it. And I know you're no respect of place or person. You'll do it again. Bless us now. And as we approach thy word, may the Holy Spirit reveal to us the things that's written therein and give faith for the oncoming meeting, Lord, the prayer line that's fixing to be formed in the next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you will turn with me to just a little short message, and I would like to preach to you this afternoon, but I, my throat's real hoarse, and um, I would be grateful to be able to talk after all these meetings and all kinds of draft and everything through the, the buildings. Now, I want you to turn to St. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, the 15th chapter, and 21st uh, to the 28th verse. I want to read... Uh, quite a portion of it here, and I want you to follow me, if you will. The 21st verse, And Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre of Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. She said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, bid unto thee even as I will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I would like to take a, a text from this. I'll use one word, and that word is perseverant. And the word perseverant means to be persistent. Webster says that it is uh, persistent in making a goal, trying to do something and being persistent about it, you become perseverant. <clears throat> Man of all ages who has faith in what they are trying to achieve has been perseverant. You must have faith in what you are doing. I've noticed, and it's been very outstanding, uh, through 30 years, uh, and, and 31 years, rather, behind the pulpit, and about 16 years now, and constantly around the world, and prayer lines, and watching people. People always will never seldom find one that will confess that they have no faith. They've always got all the faith. But, see, faith is different than what you think it is, or not what you, I mean, the average person would think. Mostly, it's hope. Instead of faith, you have a mental conception of faith, what it means, and mentally, you have faith, but you go deeper than that, see? You go deeper. Faith is 
positive. It is the substance. It not a myth, not a, a intellectual imagination, but it is a substance. And substance is something that you can hold on to. See? It's the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. In the Hebrews, the first eleventh chapter, first verse. Now, that faith is not. Now you've got five senses in your body. God gave you those five senses to contact your earthly home. That see, taste, feel, smell, hear. But that has nothing to do with God. There isn't any of them that will declare God. Not a one of them. No. Because they are only given to you to contact your earthly home. See? See, taste, feel, smell, hear. See, that has nothing to do with God at all. And people rely really upon them. But you, you, you mustn't do that. Faith is something different. Faith is the sixth sense, which you contact God. You can only contact God by the sixth sense, which is faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. See? Now, it's a very odd affair. Now, for instance here. Now, I'm going to talk loud. Now, here's set a music instrument. How do you know that it's a, a music instrument? Because I have one sense that will contact it. That is my sight. I see the instrument. I do not hear it, smell it, feel it, taste it. But there's only one sense that contacts it. Now, you've heard the old expression, I'm from Missouri, you have to show me. See? Oh, it's called the show me state. Now, let me show you how ridiculous that remark is. Now, it's absolutely impossible for me to use a sense of sight to know that instrument still remains there. Someone could come and tuck it from behind me. It's impossible. I do not see it. It's in the back of me. But it's there. Now, seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing because I have another sense which is feeling. And feeling is believing here. And it's just as real as seeing because it's the instrument. I feel it, the neck on it. I feel the strings on it. I feel the keys. It's wound up the strings. See? And therefore, seeing is not believing. I believe just as much as there as if I was looking at it. You see what I mean? Now, same thing of any other sense. Now, when people says that seeing is believing, it's ridiculous to their own statement. See? It's, it's, a, it's a disgrace to their intelligence to think that seeing is believing. That discards all the other senses. Now, for instance, say that this was a bottle of perfume. Just say it was perfume. All right? Now, uh, I see it and I am feeling it, of course, in my hands. But what if I could not see it and I could not feel it? And yet someone would pick it up and I had no sight or no feeling of it and it come close to me. I could tell you it was there because my sense of smell becomes active. See, when my other senses won't declare it. Now, you get what I mean? Now, faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you do not see, taste, feel, smell, or hear. See? It's actually a sense that you know it. There's no getting away from it. You're a positive. Then something's going to happen when you have that. As I've often remarked, what if I was standing out here on one of these mountaintops, starving to death, and no one would give me any money, and a loaf of bread would, would save my life, and you come along and felt sorry for me, and you gave me a loaf of bread, uh, or maybe say you give me 25 cents, say, say that's the purchasing price of the loaf of bread, you gave me 25 cents, well, I can be just as happy with the 25 cents in my hand as I could with the loaf of bread in my hand. Why? I've got the purchase power of the loaf of bread. The only thing I have to do is walk over to that store and get me a loaf of bread. But now, right now, I've got the purchase power of the loaf of bread. It buys the loaf of bread. That's faith. Faith never looks and say, I don't feel any better. I don't see any better. I don't hear any better. See? It rejoices because you've already got the purchasing power of your healing. See? You're just as happy. Just as, no, just as well as anything that you've already got it. Because you got the purchase and price of it, which is faith. See? Faith never turns loose. Well, I'll get back to my text. <laughs> All right, but I just thought I'd drop that along so you can see it's deeper than what people just shallow. They say, oh, I, I believe it. You intellectually believe it. But if you really believe it, everything in this Bible is yours. See? It's yours. Faith purchases it. See? Here is the goods. It's laying here, God himself, in letter form. And faith in that word purchases the thing for you. It brings it to pass. Makes it to live. Now, I was in a... I spoke at a Kiwanis club some time ago. And there's a doctor told me that... said, oh, I believe, Billy. I, I talked about a certain patient he'd give up. And the Lord healed. He said, oh, I, I believe it. And faith, uh, uh, faith... And I said, now, wait a minute. What kind of faith are you talking about? He said, it's the faith. He said, I believe if that man will walk out here and put his hand on the tree and believe he's going to get well, he'd get well just the same as what someone would pray for him. I said, now, who, tell me, doctor, uh, you're an intelligent-looking man. How could a man ever have faith but putting his hand on a tree would make him well? You've got to have faith in something. And the Bible said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. That basis, it, your faith has got a foundation because God promised it. Like Abraham. Well, when he was, his wife was 65 years old and he was 75. While they lived together, she, they married when she was 16, 17 years old. He was 10 years older than she. It was his half-sister. And after they lived as husband and wife all these years, let's see, 65, she is 10, 15 years past menopause. Now, here was Abraham, 75, an old man. And God appeared to him and said, you're going to have the baby. Why, my, that was just as good to Abraham as having the baby. He already had it, as far as that was concerned. Could, well, now, sometimes faith will make you act funny to the world. Now, could you imagine an old couple like that going down and making a room at the hospital? <laughs> They'd say, you better lock that old fellow up. There's something wrong with him. He needs to see a psychiatrist or something. But Abraham had faith in what God was saying. Now, the first days passed, the regular 28-day time. I can see him go to Sarah and say, How you feel, darling? There's no difference at all. Well, glory to God, we're going to have it anyhow. 
See? Get all the booties ready and the pins and bird eye. Get everything ready because we're going to have the baby. How do you know? God said so. That settles it. Ten years passed. How you feeling, darling? No different. Glory to God. It's a ten year more of a miracle than it would have been if it happened back there. It's going to be anyhow. Twenty-five years passed. Now, he's a hundred and she's ninety. How you feeling, darling? No different. Glory to God. We're going to have it anyhow. God said so. That settles it. God said so. Now, see, and the Bible said, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong, giving praise to God. Now, we, if we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and are heirs with him according to the promise. Is that right? Then how could a true Abraham seed see the promise of God here and then complain about having a tummy ache or your hand ain't straightened out right yet when God made the promise? If you wait 50 years, what difference does it make? Abraham was able to achieve the title of father of nations and have the child because he believed and was perseverant with his faith. Why? He could be perseverant. God had promised it. And God is, he was persuaded fully that God was able to perform that what he had said. Oh, my. Mm. How can the seed of Abraham, the royal seed of Abraham, the church of the living God, look upon a promise and then don't believe it? God's eternal word. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Ye abide in me and my word in you. Ask what you will and it'll be done for you. Oh, what promises he gives us. We could quote them. But you, you can only be perseverant when you got a hold of the word. Now, if somebody comes along and said, glory to God, feel this, hallelujah, I got it in my hands. Now, I wouldn't be very perseverant about that. See, because there's no one can heal you. No medicine, no doctor, no nothing ever did heal anybody but God. I want you to show me the doctor that claims that he's a healer. I want you to prescribe for me a medicine that will do anything towards healing. Mayo's is the best we got. I've been interviewed there twice. They said, we do not claim to be healers, Mr. Brandon. We only claim to assist nature. God is a healer. They can cut a place, but it takes creation to build tissue to heal it back. They, I say, do you condemn doctors? Certainly not. If you break your arm, the doctor has studied how to set that arm, but he can't heal it. God has to heal it. He has to produce the calcium in, and all that goes into the bone and knit that together and heal it. He only sets it. If you broke your arm, went to the doctor and said, heal it, doctor. I want to finish washing my dishes. <laughs> You say you need mental healing. That'd be about right. See? But you you got the uh, doctor sets it, but God's a healer. You can't make God's word lie. He said, I'm the Lord thy God who heals all of your diseases. And they've never had a medicine that would heal. No doctor claims it heals. It only kills germs while God heals. It only cleans the sore out or, or something like that. Or take your hand. A doctor works on two senses. What he can feel with his hands or see with his eyes. He can feel the growth. He said, yeah, you got a growth there. I cut it out. Now he cuts a hole in there and cuts it off. Now he didn't heal it. He cut out a growth. Who heals? 
He sows up, but if God don't, if God don't heal it, it'll always be that way. See? It'll always be that way. He can pull a tooth out, but who's going to heal a place to come out of? He can set an arm, but who's going to heal it? God's a healer. So you see, if you get the Word of God in you with faith to believe that Word, something's going to take place and you'll never turn it loose. Right. I think of the father of our nation, which is called George Washington. I always had a lot of respect for Mr. Washington because he was a Christian. And before Valley Forge, when he prayed all night long in the snow until he was wet above his waist, and his soldiers, two-thirds of them didn't even have on shoes. They had their feet wrapped with anything they could wrap them with. And it's zero weather, and the river froze over. That night, he prayed until he was wet, come up around his waist. He caught the vision from God. And the next day, he was very persistent. He crossed the river regardless of the, the ice gorges didn't stop him. And three musket bullets were shot through his coat, and he walked on to victory. Why? He was persistent. He prayed until they caught a hold of God and know what God had said. That's it. He can be persistent for the achievement. And the first thing, your achievement is only by your motive and your objective. Your motive has got to be right and your objective has got to be right. If your objective is right and your motive is wrong, then it won't happen. You've got to have the right objective, you've got to have the right motive, and then take it upon the leading of the Holy Spirit in your heart and stay with it. God will bring it to pass. Noah, a great man of God, was very persistent in his days. He lived in a smarter age than we live in, more of a scientific age than we live in. Because in them days, they built a pyramid. We could not build it. I've been in Egypt at the pyramids. The Sphinx, we couldn't reproduce it if we had to. Some of them, and that pyramid is so geographically set in the center of the earth till there's never a shadow around it, no matter where the sun is. And another thing, there is boulders in there, way up in the air, that we have no machinery, no gasoline powers that could ever lift those boulders up there. But they built it. They could achieve it. They had a, a way of doing it, maybe atomic power, hydrogen power or something. But gasoline power, electrical power, you couldn't make a machine big enough to lift it up there. So how'd they get it up there? And it's so perfect masonry that you can't run a razor blade around the, the places where they're setting together hundreds and hundreds of tons. How did they do it? How did they build them? They could make a mummy, take a body and embalm it that still has features looking right today after around almost 4,000 years ago. Still looks natural. A coloring it. We can't duplicate it all. They were smart, intelligent. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Did you know intelligence and smartness is the mark of sin and destruction? Follow the lineage of of Ham's children. Look at Cain's children. They all become, unto the antediluvian time, they were smart, bright, intelligent people. And they were scientists. The builders of iron and so forth. But Seth's children were humble peasants. That produced an Enoch and a Noah. But these others were scientific men. Educated, smart, shrewd. Didn't Jesus say the children of the night is smarter than the children of the day? 
He likened his people unto lambs. Anybody ever heard sheep? A lamb, when he's lost, is totally lost. He can't find his way at all. He's got to have a leader. And that's the way we are. We're not supposed to know very much. Just enough to live for God. And God is our leader that directs us. But we won't let him do it. We back off like a goat and, and carry on. See? But we, it's, them, thems are marks. And in the days of Noah, when Noah come out and said, it's going to rain. He preached 120 years. That water was going to fall from the skies. There had never been any water up there. No, sir. Never been water in the skies. Could you imagine those scientists of that days? That didn't meet their scientific uh, specification. Neither does the Holy Ghost today meet the scientific specification. Neither does the miracles and signs of God meet their scientific, uh, uh, what they think should be right. Specifications, I was going to say. But don't make any difference. God's spoken, and it's so anyhow. And the faith that can lay a hold of it holds on to it. Notice, Noah, I'd see a great scientist come out and said, you know, there's an old man up there on the hill building some kind of a thing, great big old barn of a thing, uh, up on top of the hill, said it's going to rain, float it away, go to bring water down out of the skies. He go up there and say, Noah, let me show you that you've got a mental illusion. There's something wrong with you. I can take my instrument here and shoot to the moon. I can take my radar, things that they had in them days. Because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And there's no water up there. Forget it, old fella. Go on back to your farming. Forget it. There's no water up there. You're pounding away in vain. But Noah said, God said it was going to. Well, where is God going to get? Now, listen. Anything up there when there's nothing up there to get it with. He said, if God said there would be rain, he's able to put rain up there because God said so. It didn't stop him a bit. He was persevering. He built right on on the thing because putting the thing together because he was perseverant because he knew that God said so and heavens and earth will pass away but his word can't. He is going to make his achievement to save those who wanted to be saved. Sure, Moses, why well, he was a scientist. The Egyptian race of people was the smartest people in all the world in them days. But Moses could even teach the Egyptians wisdom. And he tried his military uh, a strategy to deliver the children of Israel. It wouldn't work. He ran. When his scientific military strategy wouldn't work, Moses ran from the presence of the people that God had sent him to deliver. One time on the backside of the desert, a bush was burning and Moses stopped to see what it was. And a voice came out of there and said, Take off your shoes, Moses. For the playground where thou standest is holy ground. And Moses went in before the Lord. And the Lord quoted the scripture. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I remember the, my promise to Abraham. And the time is nigh. And I hear the groans of them down there in Egypt. And I've come down. I'm sending you down there to deliver them. God always works through agent. Man. Man is God's agent always. Not creeds, not denominations, but man. God never worked through machinery or never worked through denominations. They die as soon as you organize. That settles it forever. Tell me, I want a historian to rise up and tell me where a church ever organized it didn't go to the dust. Always. That's exactly right. Every one of me lays them on the shelf. 
Every one of them are products of the Catholic Church, the first organization. The late Pope, the Pope just now, this John 22, is, I think they call him, he put a, a proclamation out, I guess your Canadian papers packed it, said all the churches come back to where the church began at, at Rome. I want any man, any historian to show me where the church began at Rome. The denomination began at Rome, but the church began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That's where the church is. If you want to go back to the beginning, I'm ready to go back with the Pope. <laughs> to the beginning, that's exactly right. If you want to go back where the church began. But now the organization, Roman Catholic Church is the first organized church in the world. And she's the mother of all of it. And Revelation 17 said she was a whore and her daughters were prostitutes, harlots. And they're all to be destroyed. That's exactly right. That's the word of the Lord. Yeah, you argue with him. See, not me, because I'm just quoting what he said. Notice, that is true. And then we hug around those things, and why, well, it's terrible. Moses, when he had that vision from God, and the Lord appeared to him, and he quoted back his word of promise, Moses is right on his road down. Now, sometimes when you believe God, it makes you act awful silly to the people. Could you imagine an old man now? Here's Moses, now 80 years old, and he's hiding back there on the desert. Uh, from the duty that God had sent him to do. But when he got on those sacred sands one time where scientists could not explain it away from him, no man ought to preach the gospel until first he's met God on the sacred sands where no man can take it away from him. The devil can't tread on those sacred grounds. You were there when it happened. And you know what you're talking about. Care how many scientific this and how much that. What if Moses would have said, I believe I'll go over and pick some of the leaves off the tree and go down to the laboratory and have them examine and see why they don't burn. God would have never talked to him, but he just sat down and talked to it. That's the way to do. Sit right down and talk to God. He'll answer you back. Or sometimes when you do that, it makes you act strange to the rest of the world. The next day, here's an old man now, 80 years old. Whiskers hanging way down like this, and his bald head shining. His wife sitting straddle the mule with a youngin on her hip like that, and a stick in his hand. Here he's going down, hard glory, hallelujah, going down to Egypt to take over. Where are you going, Moses? Going down to take over Egypt, a one-man invasion. That's <laughs> silly. But what was it, Moses? Say, brother Moses, where are you going? Going down to Egypt. Going down to take over, just like one man invasion going to take Russia over, see? The great had the whole world whipped, but I'm going down to take over with a stick in his hand. What are you going to do it with Moses? God said, hold his stick and go on. So here I go. One man invasion, ridiculous to the carnal mind, but he did it. Why? God said so. I can see some of the priests stop in the middle nights and say, now, wait a minute, Brother Moses, you've been a great successful sheep herder here. You mustn't uh, uh, act uh, ridiculous like that. But you see, he said, I met God, and God told me to go do it, and he did it. Where his scientific searches and everything had failed, God's word can't fail. So Moses was persevering. He killed one Egyptian and ran because the thread of the people, and he went down there behind that and killed the whole nation with a crooked stick in his hand. See, God does things so silly to the carnal mind that don't know nothing about God but think they do. While God laughs at your ignorance. But he takes the humble in heart that'll listen and pay attention to what he's saying. It was ridiculous, but God did it. 
Moses was persevering. Stop him. He threw his rod down as we had last night. It turned into a serpent. And then these other guys threw their rods down. It turned into a serpent. He was persevering. He stood there and said, my God sent me. He's able to make that thing right. The serpent swallowed the other one up and said, there you are. Amen. Yes, sir. He was perseverant because he had heard God. He had faith in what God said was the truth because it was a scripture. God had promised that by the scripture. When you see God promise anything and then turn back around and confirm what he's promised, then you can be perseverant. Hmm, what could happen? If man could ever take a hold and open up their numb feelings away from God and come up in the Holy Spirit and catch a hold of him and see there that it's God. He promised it. Some of them doesn't have even common audacity. That's right, people. They, some of them will just, they just don't believe that. There's no way for you to tell them because they were predestinated to their condemnation. The Bible said so, and Jude said, man of old, predestinated to this condemnation, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. It's exactly. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to know that you were reading and hearing the Bible preached to you and then didn't believe it? What a horrible thing. To, that's, that's the horriblest thing I know of. Is people that won't believe God's word. Now, David, David was a little sling boy back there. He had a slingshot in his hand and he was herding his father's sheep. A lion come in and got one and run out. And he trusted God and killed the lion with a slingshot. A bear come in and got one. He killed the bear. And one day he was over by the army of the Lord, taking his brothers up some raisins and, and so forth to eat. Some pies, perhaps his mother made. And while they was there, across was the Philistines. And there they had a, a Goliath, great big giant of a man, 14-inch fingers, standing out there and said, I'll proposition with you. That's the way the devil does when he thinks he's got the edge on you. He said, I'll proposition with you fellows. Let's not have bloodshed. Now, let somebody come out and fight me. If they kill me, then all my country will serve you. And then if I kill them, then your country will serve us. Oh, sure. Satan's glad to make a bargain like that. So he know nobody. And there Saul, well-trained spearman, a warrior from his youth, standing there head and shoulders above his army, way back in the back of scared the meeting. But one day he made, the, he made it when the, the right guy was standing by. A little old stoop-shouldered, the Bible said, ruddy-looking boy standing there, David. And he turned around to them. He said, do you mean to tell me that you, the army of the living God, will stand there and let that uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God. But I'll go fight him if you haven't got the courage. I'll go. God's always got a man somewhere. He's got courage that'll stand up and tell the truth and go after it. He said, I'll go fight him. Why, they said, you're nothing but a youth. And he's a, look why you're not hardly as big as his arm. He said, that doesn't make any difference. So it come up to Saul, and Saul come up. He said, now, David, he said, I admire your courage, son, but uh, you don't have any dueling experience. So maybe you had better wear my jacket, put his armor on it, weighted little David down. It puts me in mind, he's come to find out that his ecclesiastical jacket didn't fit a, fit a man of God. That's the way it is. They learn your PhD and your LLD and how to duel the creeds and things. He'd have never fought him. No, he said, take the thing off of me. That I've never proved it yet. Let me go with what I know God has blessed. Amen. God's obligated to his word. Right. Let me go with God's word. 
God promised to bless His Word and it will not return to Him, boy, no matter how many tries to kick you out, stay right there on that Word. God promised to take care of the situation. David said, I'll go fight him. Oh, my. He was persevering. His brother said, I know you're naughty. Go on back to your pap into them sheep over there on the hill. But David wouldn't do it because God had done anchor. He said, well, he said, that man will throw his spear through him. What all he'll do? And all like this, he said, but I was herding my father's sheep. And God helped me to take a, a kid out of a lion's mouth and a bear and so forth. And he said, the God that would take, let give me deliverance from that lion's paw and that bear's paw, how much more will he give me victory over that uncircumcised Philistine? who's defying saying the days of miracles is past. <laughs> that big denominational creed that tries to place God's miracles way back in here and divine healing over in the millennium when you be immortal. <laughs> God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he ever was, God is still God. There it was. And you know what happened in the story? Yes, John the Baptist, when he came forth, now we don't have much record of John. He was a... Um, a priest's son. But he never followed the denomination with his daddy. He didn't do that. He had an important job. He was going to be the one uh, called in history to announce the Messiah. He stayed in the wilderness until he was sure, until God met him. He didn't go down and fool with their creeds and so forth. They hadn't learned to be priests and all that. He went out in the wilderness and lived off of locusts and wild honey. And he never asked anything from anybody. But he stayed there and God spoke to him one day and said, Now you'll know this Messiah. Now, when he comes, whoever who you see the Spirit descending upon and remaining in, that's the one that I've called. He'll be the one that'll baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, if John would have went down and got his seminary experience and everything, come in a big duty, you know, some other doctors of divinity and say, John, we understand according to your birth back there that you were conceived in your mother when she was old woman and, and so forth. And now, you know, doubt but what you're to be the one to introduce the Messiah. You said you used to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Don't you think a Dr. Jones here is just the guy? Oh, look at him, how he can just, oh, see. Well, uh, he might have been persuaded, but John kept away from all that nonsense. He stayed out in the wilderness until he heard from God. Oh, if people would just get away from all this nonsense, days of miracles, just past, no such a thing as divine healing, and get alone somewhere and stay with God until you hear that voice say, I'm the Lord thy God and heals all thy diseases. The same yesterday, today, and forever. That's where you find God. Now, he was so sure, so persistent till he said this. He noted the Messiah would appear in his generation. He said, there's one standing among you right now that you don't know. He knew he was on earth right then because he was going to introduce him. Oh, he was persistent. Certainly, little Samson was persistent. When he'd come out there and there, somebody has Samson. I seen a picture one time of Samson over in a Greek museum. And the creation, it was ridiculous. Show what the carnal mind can think when it's not converted to Christ. Eve standing there, the most hideous looking beast I ever saw. Uh, you'd think that God creates something like that. No, sir. And uh, Adam, he looked like some prehistoric giant. I've never seen such a thing. You know, God made him perfect. God made, Eve was the prettiest woman ever lived. She was God's early specimen of womanhood. Certainly it was. And there they had Samson with shoulders the size of uh, barn doors. Now, it would be no mystery to me to see a man with shoulders like that, arms about that big around, reach down and get a line, tear him to pieces. Certainly not. See him pick up the gates of a city and walk away with it. Why, well, he's three times bigger than the gates. 
You ought to be able to walk away with it. Sure, according to that. But Samson, if you want to know, was just a little bitty shrimp. Little mama's boy. With seven little curls hanging down his back. But he was a Nazarite unto the Lord. Amen. Now, when the lion ran out and roared on Samson, he was helpless. But the Spirit of the Lord came up on him. A channel that God could work in. He wasn't an intellectual giant. He just walked out there under the power of God and tore him to pieces. Now, that's a mystery how he could do that. A little fellow like that. And one day he's out on the field and a thousand Philistines surrounding him. Now, them helmets are about an inch and a half thick of brass that hangs down over their head. That great big coats of what they call nail was lapped over metal. Sometimes a half inch or more thick lap over one another all the way down. That's the way they were dressed. Great big uh, guards out here in front of the legs and so forth. Great, or taking giant of man to pack them. And there was a thousand of them standing there. And they surrounded Samson. Only thing he had to do is reach back and feel that covenant with God. <laughs> That's it. And he looked for something. And there was a jawbone of a mule in Blisting. He was persevering. Why? He knew that God had blessed him. He knew the Spirit of God is upon him. What he had in his hand, he used it. Oh, if the seed of Abraham today, the children of God, could take what little faith you got. And be persevering with it. God will use it. Yes. Oh, yes. I get to talking and get away with my text. This Greek woman, she heard, faith cometh the what? Hearing. Hearing the word of God. Now, she was a Greek, remember. But you know, faith finds a source that nothing else don't see. Faith finds its source. That the human eye don't see, but it finds it anyhow. His word is a sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. And faith that holds that sword. Now look, there's everything out here to keep you away from every blessing of God. Now somebody can pick up the faith with a little, uh, the sword with a little weak hand and cut off another a little bit to make a confession. Today we hear so much about decisions. We made so many decisions. Decisions are stones, like Peter. Decision. But what good does a, a bunch of stones being piled up together if you haven't got a stonemason there with a sharp two-edged sword to cut them into sons and daughters of God? That's the reason Billy Graham said in Louisville. He went out there and bawled those preachers out. When I sat right there in his breakfast, he said, You lazy preachers, I come into the city and said, uh, I have a revival and get 30,000 converts. I come back in six months, I can't find 30. So what's the matter? said, Paul went into a city and had one convert and come back six months later and had 50 over that one. said, he had great, 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 great grandchildren as it was back. He said, it's you lazy preachers. Oh, I wanted to say something to the great evangelist, but I was just a dumbbell, so I just sat still. Then I want to ask something. What lazy preacher failed to take Paul's convert? If it's lazy preachers with their feet up on the desk and don't go visit the people that they made their decision cards, is because... Paul took that decision and stayed there with it until he cut it into the form of Jesus Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it was so on fire, it made itself then to be other. Not decisions. Just go say, I make a decision. Go right on with the rest of the world. Now, Billy said that out of 30,000, he couldn't find 30 sometimes. It's because that only thing you do is roll up stones. You just might as well leave them on the field. If you're not going to cut them, fix them into the building of God. Make sons and daughters out of them in the, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it cuts 
And what does circumcision mean? Cut off the surplus flesh, the world. The word circumcises it, cuts it out. Faith holds that sword. Some can cut up enough to join a church. Some can go on into deeper things. And some can cut all the way through to divine healing. Depends on the strong arm of faith that's healing that sword. That's right. Depends on. She had many hindrances. This woman did. Oh, my. I could call over a dozen or two I got rolled down here that would hinder her. But her faith didn't have no hindrance. You might have hindrance. Your pastor might say, you attend a meeting like that, I'll turn you out of church. All right, there's your hindrance. Your husband might say, I'll leave you. Your wife might say, uh, I won't, I'll never, I, I, I'll, I'll divorce you. You might have a lot of hindrance, but if you've got faith, it don't have any hindrance. It knows nothing but the Word of God and stays with it. That's right, the Word of God. They might have said to her, you are a Greek. That, that man don't belong to your organization. <laughs> You're a Greek. Well, our, our bunch is not sponsoring them, whatever it was. Another bunch might have met her and said, why, the days of miracles is past. There's no such a thing. That bunch of holy rollers down there don't know what they're talking about. Them Jews, we're Greek, we're smart, we're educated. We know things, but we're intelligent people. But look at that bunch of uh, people down there. All they talk about is some supernatural God doing some this way, going through a Red Sea or something like that. See, but you are Greek, you're smarter than that. But faith had a hope and she was persistent. She walked right on a past it. She believed it. Then she met a bunch of women, perhaps. And they said, you know what, dearie? Martha Luella, I hope there's not one here with that name. I call it a strange name. You know, Martha Luella, what's going to happen? Your husband will leave you because he's a businessman in the city. If you tend down there where that's at, what difference does that make husband or no husband? She was persistent. She was perseverant. She knew she had need of Christ and she was going to see him because she had heard that he was a healer. She was going to see it. Sure. My another next one, I said, all right, if you go down there, you'll be laughed at. The whole town will call you some bad name. They'll call you Holy Roller or Pentecostal or something. If you go down amongst them, you're sure going to be branded. She was perseverant. She walked right on, brother. Nothing going to stop that woman. Yes, sir. And then the other, and here come the priest was the last. said, if you go, we're going to put you out of church and excommunicate you. That didn't stop her a bit. Faith cometh by hearing. She had a need. She walked right on down. She was persevering. She was going to see Jesus. And now a lot of people think as soon as they see Jesus, it's all over. Glory to God, I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now I'll just lay down and take it easy. You, you're no subject of the Holy Ghost yet. Listen, when you got the Holy Ghost right, right then's when you hit your trouble. That's when trouble starts. Exactly. That, then's when you got to fight. That's what it's given to you for. It's a sword. That's right. That's when your fight starts. Now, she come to finally, she arrived to where Jesus was. Now, she'd fought through every one of these bears, per perseverant. My, here she come, cutting her way through. Days of miracles passed. Laugh at your husband, leave you, put out of the church. What more? A call holy roller. What more? She just persevered. She comes on. Now, she meets up with Jesus. Said, now, I got it. Now, I'm in his prison. And notice. As soon as he, she met up with him, she met another disappointment. Yeah. He said, I'm not sent to your race. Oh, the very God that she was respecting. Him. What she give up her church and her, everything she had. She had a daughter was very bad. Had epilepsy. And she was trying to get to Jesus because she knew he'd healed others. So why couldn't he heal her daughter? So she actually she'd left her everything she had and got up to him. Then the disappointment let him again. I'm not sent to your race. I'm sent only to the children of Israel. But you know what? That don't stop her faith. 
No, sir. She pressed right on again. She addressed him as son of David. He wasn't no son of David to her. But when she said, Lord, that was different. <laughs> she come in the right way then. Lord, have mercy on me. He said, another thing. He said, you're nothing but a bunch of dogs. I'm not sent to you. Look what that poor little woman had done. The things she'd went through. Everything she had to press to get to him. And then when she got to him, he said, I'm not sent to your race. And you're nothing but a bunch of dogs. Mmm. My, my. Still, she was persevering. <laughs> sure, why? She had faith. After he... That wouldn't work on a bunch of Canadians, would it? Or a bunch of Americans. You call them a dog or something. Well, you're, you're uh, something or another. You're a bunch of Anglins. There's nothing to you. Something like that. Oh, you blowed up like a frog eating shop. You would, why, my, you would have not, uh, excuse that experience, uh, expression, I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. But you'd have, you'd have thought awful bad about that if Jesus would have said, I'm not sent to you, Anglians. I'm not sent to you, Pentecostals. You're a bunch of your assembly of God, you church of God, you whatever you are. I wasn't sent to you, nothing but a bunch of dogs. Oh, my. I'd seen that disappointed look and said, well, I won't have nothing to do with him at all. Wasn't right to begin with. I'll just go back over to my own church. But not her. She had faith. She wasn't a hotbed plant. A hybrid like some of them today call themselves believers. Can't sit still a minute to the gospel. That's what we got today. A bunch of hotbed plants. You have to baby them all the time. Keep them sprayed the bugs off of them. Right. Baby them like a kitten. Rubbing his fur one way up her. But rub it back once and it shows what's in him. That's right. It certainly is true. She wasn't a, a hybrid. Anything that's hybrid is disgraceful. A hybrid ain't got what is. I see read a piece in the Reader's Digest just recently. Whether if they keep on hybriding corn and stuff like that, women won't even be able to have babies 20 years from today. It's just tearing the human race to pieces and causing cancer and everything else. It's a hybrid. It's no good. They say, oh, take funks or whatever it is, a hybrid corn. It's a pretty thing. A great big fine grain, but there's nothing to it. Plant it back and it won't even do nothing. Can't reproduce itself. Nothing hybrid. You take a, a, a mule. A mule is a hybrid. What is he? His father was a jack. His mother was a, a mare. And that he's the ignorantest thing there is. He'll wait all his life to get to kick you before he dies. You can't tell him nothing. You can't teach him nothing. Set them big long ears. Huh, huh. Go talk about days and miracles just pass. Huh, huh, huh. They got nothing to pass. See? But, oh, a good thoroughbred horse. Yes, sir. There's too much mule religion today. A bunch that don't even know where they come to. What, are you a Christian? I'm Methodist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Pentecostal. I'm this, that, or the other. Hybrid. Can't breed itself back. Any denomination is a hybrid. It can't breed itself back. It's dead when it does it. But a good thoroughbred pedigreed horse can tell you who his papa was, who his mama was, who his grandpapa, grandmama, all the way back. And a real good pedigreed born-again Christian of the Holy Ghost can go plumb back to the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah! You can, you can say, Jesus Christ the same yesterday ever, that pedigreed horse. Amen. Hallelujah. Highbred. Highbred religion. Oh, it looks prettier, sure. Great big fine churches and millions of dollars into it and everything like that. And a preacher can stand up and, and speak so just 
about 15 minutes on the very thing that you won't even talk about, the flowers or something else or some politics, and then go back and you can belong to church and play cards, wear shorts, do anything you want to, live on like the world. You think that's all right. That's your hybrid. But when it comes down to life, it isn't there. For a born-again Christian, a born-again man will never shun one word of God. A born-again Christian will talk up to what that word says. She wasn't a high-bred, she wasn't a hot-bred plant. Had to be babied. And if the preacher preaches over ten minutes, some of them will go to church and sit down in a meeting. If you say one thing they don't believe with it, mm, I'll get out of here right now. That's not even common decency. That's right. That shows what she was made out of. That shows a breed of people. If I went into a Roman Catholic church or to a, uh, anywhere I went, I'd have the decency to sit and listen until the thing was over. Right. But the hybrids today, see, they, they profess to know God. Jesus said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For are they the sort that goes from house to house and lead silly women, led away with divers' lust. All kinds of women. A woman told me down in America here not long ago, I was getting on to the church about the way they were doing. She's little old dresses, so immoral looking like that. And she said, uh, well, now listen here, Mr. Branham. She said, I'm American and that's my God-given privilege. I said, it might be your American-given privilege, but it ain't your God-given privilege. She said, well, you can't buy no other clothes but them. I said, let me tell you something, sister. They still sell sewing machines and goods, so don't you never get out of that. See? It's just because the lust is in the heart of the people. If they're born again, they won't want to do that thing. They had preachers in a pulpit would take their gloves off of Ecclesiastic and throw that word out there and tell them the truth and cut the chips and let them fall where they want to. The thing of it is, we that is right. That's the reason we don't see signs and wonders. And when they appear, it astonishes the churches. They don't know what to do and back away like they did in them. They said, it's Beelzebub, the devil. They just don't know. I better stop and go on here. Well, anyhow, don't want to hurt you, but I want to shave just a little so you know where you're standing. When you meet me at the judgment bar, you'll answer for it. Just remember, you'll answer because I'm telling you the, the word exactly the word of God. Now, she admitted that he wasn't sent to her race. She admitted that she wasn't nothing but a dog. Oh, would we do that? Oh, no, certainly not. We say, I do as I want to. Go ahead. Just go right ahead to the church. If you want to, that's all right. But remember, you're going to meet it again someday. The world has become contaminated with perversion. The whole thing, the Bible said, so education, civilization moved in. When you Indians had this country yourself, there was no trouble among you. No. You lived a good long life and everything went along all right. Little tribal fusses, you settled by getting out there and fighting it out among you. But when the white men come in, he brought women, whiskey, drinking, seeing, and admired civilization always brings that. What you got? A perversion. Murders. Fast steel. Homosexual. All kinds of stuff in this last day. Exactly what the Bible said would happen. But here we got it. See, no wonder a person can't be persistent. They don't know where they stand. How could a hybrid be persistent when they don't even know who his father and mother is? See? You couldn't do it. Now, let me tell you something, lady. Just listen to this, sister, and hear it. You go ahead and do the way you wish to. But you dress in them vulgar clothes and get out here on the street. You put your daughters out there like that. And some man looks at her in the wrong way. 
You may be as pure as a lily. You might be as honorable to your husband as you could be or to your boyfriend. But at the day of judgment, you're going to answer for committing adultery. For Jesus said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Who's guilty? You presented yourself. You're guilty. And then the hybrid preacher standing in the pulpit and shame to tell me it's a meal ticket. They've got to do it to hold their denominational rights and their big churches and things. What we need today is real man of God who stands out on that word and tells the truth about it. That's right. Remember, there'll only be a few saved anyhow. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, wherein eight souls were saved. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, watch. She admitted the, the, the real true faith always admits the word is right. Watch. Always admitting the word is right. Truth, Lord, I'm nothing but a dog. Truth, Lord, you never sent, you wasn't sent to my race. That's the truth. She didn't want to see what this was or that was. She just admitted that the word was right. And the spirit of faith always admits the word is right. Notice, true, Lord, I'm not after the children's bread, but let me just take the crumbs that falls from the master's table. Just the crumbs. That got him. That was it. He said, for this sin... Thy, go thy way, thy daughter is made whole. Faith admits the truth. The same now. Faith always goes with the word. She was perseverant and she got what she asked for regardless of circumstances. Martha, in the presence of Jesus, she was perseverant. She stood there and she believed. And no matter, even though her brother was dead for four days and now stinketh, she said, Lord, he's dead, he stinketh. But even now, whatever you ask God, God will give it to you. She was perseverant. That's where we don't get anything. We are not perseverant. We've not got the faith. We don't hold on. The Shunammite woman was perseverant before Elijah. She said, true, that's right. Said, you bless me and the baby come. The baby's dead. But said, now I'll not leave you. As sure as your soul never dies and the Lord your God lives, I'm not going to leave you until she got the answer for her child. She was perseverant. Faith holds a word. Micah, standing there before 400 prophets, all fed and fixed up and wearing their uniforms and dress. And Micah, there comes Jehoshaphat. He was a believer, a man of God. Come down with Ahab. He ought to know to do better than that. But when he did, he said, does not Ramoth Gilead belong to us? Now watch the reasons. Ramoth Gilead, Joshua, in setting up the land, gave that to Israel. The Philistines come over and tuck it from them. And now, Ahab said, doesn't Ramoth Gilead belong to me? That lukewarm borderline believer said, don't it belong to us? And he said, that's ours. And Jehoshaphat in the wrong company, sitting in the wrong crowd, or there's no faith, no believing in the word of God. He said, why, it looks like, I said, but oughtn't we to consult the Lord? Oh, Ahab said, sure. I got 400 prophets down here. Brought them everyone up. Well, dressed and fine prophets. Hebrew prophets, I don't mean some idle prophets, they profess to be real religious of the God that they serve. Prophets, just look here, I'm going to take my time right here a minute. Real prophets, Hebrew prophets, they come up there and they all prophesied and they said, go up for the Lord will go with you. That land absolutely belongs to us and uh, that corn is raised on there or be feeding our children. Instead, it's feeding our enemy. Go up and push them off the land. Now, doesn't that sound reasonable? God promised that was their land. 
And so, but then Micah said, well, uh, they said, first, uh, this, uh, they said, can you, isn't there one more we could consult? Isn't there just one more prophet? He said, there is one, Micah, the son of Imlan, but I hate him. Sure. Any man that would tell him the truth and bawl him out for his sins, he hated. said, I hate him. He said, don't let the king so say so. And then the ministerial association went over and met him and said, Micah, all those ministers, you've been kicked out of the organization now. All those ministers will take you right back in again if you'll say the same thing he, they say. He said, as the Lord God lives, I'll say only what God puts in my mouth. There you are. There's a man of God. They come on over there and he said, give me it tonight. He spoke to the Lord. The Lord told him. And then he compared his vision with the Word. Always compare your thoughts and your visions with the Word. If it's with the Word, God's said it. If it isn't with the Word, you better be careful. So if compared it with the Word, God told, said, he saw a vision. He saw the host of heaven sitting together. And they were all saying, how could we get Ahab out there to kill him to fulfill the Word of God? Because the prophet Elijah had said the dogs would lick his blood and eat Jezebel and she'd be spread over the field. And, well, sure. They said, how can we do it? And a lying spirit come up from beneath and said, I'll go down and get in those prophets because they don't know the word anyhow. So I'll go down there and get in them prophets and cause them to prophesy a lie and get him over there. Then Micah turned over and seen that's just exactly the word of God. So he went and stood before him and he told him that. And so, you know, Micah, that great big... Bishop come up and smacked him in the face and said, Which way did the Word of God and the Spirit of God go when it went out of me? He said, You'll see when you're hid behind the walls back there. So he said, Take him and put him in a jail, said Ahab. And said, When I come back, I'll tend to this fellow. said, If you return at all, God hasn't spoke to me. Why? Standing there where he could have been shot to death. But he was persevering. He had the Word of God. He knowed what it meant. Yes, sir. He knowed what it meant. Philip was persevering when he heard Jesus tell him, where he was before he called him. Peter was perseverant when he told him what his name was. Oh, my. The woman at the well was perseverant. Here not long ago, I was down in Mexico holding a meeting. And there was a, a little uh, Mexican woman. There had been, I guess, of four or five thousand outstanding things that had been done the night before. An old blind Mexican come across the platform. I was only there just the same as this meeting here three nights. And we had that big bull ring and this thousands times thousands swarmed out there. Some of you simply of God. I'll tell you who was interpreting for me. One of your men, Brother Espinosa, there in California, Mexican interpreter. And we were standing there. They had to come around the cement in there, put a rope around my arms to let me down on the backside of the, of the big bull ring. And when we were standing out there on the platform, raining, been raining all day. Those poor Mexicans, not a place to sit down. They just leaned against one another. And we can't sit five minutes. We're doomed, that's all. Sure. They couldn't, they, they'd stay there all day leaning against one another. That night, when the prayer line started, and I started to pray, there's an old Mexican man come across, as ragged, as blind, and I looked at him, and my shoes, I'd have given them to him, but they wouldn't fit him, and poor old fellow probably never had a good meal in his life. I put my arm around him and prayed for him, because you got to feel for the people. If you don't, you might as well let him alone. So I prayed for him. His eyesight come to him. Oh, my. The next day, a little woman was at the doctor's office. Her baby took pneumonia out there in that rain. And a little lady, and she went to the doctor with it. Very bad pneumonia. And it died that morning at 9 o'clock in the doctor's office. And that night at 1030, she was standing in that rain, standing out there trying to get that baby in to be prayed for after dying that morning. Now, this is wrote with doctor's signed statements. The Christian businessman's journal packed it. 
the voice of the Christian businessman, just packed the article just recently. You probably have read it. And so, but to make a document, to make a statement like that, you, you better have it documented right because they can make you get in trouble over it. So these things are true. And there that night, Billy come up to me and said, Daddy, that uh, fellow give out them prayer cards, give them all out. And you got a little woman standing there and said, I got 300 ushers over here and they can't even hold her. Said she runs between her legs and everywhere. She was persistent. She was Catholic too, to begin with. And there she was. And so after a while, I said, well, Brother Jack Moore, I said, many of you know Brother Jack Moore. I said, you go down and pray for the woman. She don't know me. My, she never seen me. So many people jammed in like that. And I said, as I was speaking faith, and I looked and standing in front of me was a little baby with no teeth here, a little Mexican baby looking at me, smiling, a vision. I said, wait a minute. Tell the ushers to step back and tell the lady to come here. Here's my Bible. I've got to meet God someday. And so they brought the little baby up on a platform. She began to holler, Padre, Padre, means father, you know. I told her, Brother Esmo, tell her to stand up. She had a blanket laying over the baby, water dripping her hair down, a real nice, clean-looking little woman. And she, and she run up, hollering like that, her baby. And I just went and put my hands on the baby. I said, Heavenly Father, if that vision was you telling me to pray for the baby, I don't know. But I'm just laying my hands on it to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I said that, the little baby went, wah, wah, began to kick like that and jumping. And there that little baby was. And I said, Brother Espinosa's, you put somebody with that woman now. And don't you put that down. Put that in the, in the testimonies until a doctor signs a statement. So the next day, they'd sent a runner and went with the doctor. The doctor, he looked at the baby, said, I examined that baby and pronounced it dead. It died with pneumonia. This morning, respiration stopped everything in my office at 9 o'clock. Signed his name across it like that. And there it was. The baby was living because a little mother was persevering. Catholic church or no Catholic church or whatever it was trying to keep her away. She was seeing that blind man get his sight the night before. And she was persevering. Why? She knowed if God could open the eyes of the blind, God could take brother. The same God that opens the eyes of the blind can give life back because he is a restorer of life. Certainly, she believed. She was perseverant. God have mercy. Can't we be perseverant this afternoon to, to get to Jesus Christ when we see him come right into the midst of us like this and do things that has never been done since the days of the apostles? Why can't we be perseverant and press our way in? Sure, if our faith ever catches a hold and we're really convinced that it is God, we'll be persevering. Thank you. Uh, it's time for me to leave. And I want to pray for all the sick people. I cannot bring one by one to the platform and pray for them under vision. About four or five visions and they pack me out. You know that. How many understands that? The Bible teaches that. Jesus, the first, that little woman touched his garment, that type of vision. And he said, I perceive that virtue has gone. I got weak. So, I, you know, I, we couldn't stand that. But do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He taught us these signs shall follow them and believe if they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. The works that I do shall they do also, and so forth. You believe that with all that's in you and God will reward you for the things that you're asking to be done. Do you believe that? Now, before we line up a prayer line, in the building, I want your reverence just a moment. Believe. Sometimes you have to cut like everything with the word. But when I meet you at the day of the judgment, there'll be nobody's blood upon me. See, I want you to know, I tell you the truth right out of the word. And if God don't confirm that truth, then it isn't the truth. It isn't God. If God confirms that truth, then it's truth and you listen to it. Before I walk down there to lay hands on the sick, I want some of you here to believe with all your heart. 
that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Son of God just as much as He ever was. And it's His Spirit. And I'm telling you this, and this is His Word. Do you believe it? Thank you for your faith. Now, so I can be sure the anointing of the Lord is upon me. Before you move from your seats, I want you to say, Lord God, in your heart like this, I know that man standing there doesn't know me. I know he's proved to me in these two nights he's been preaching that you promised these things in the last days and the unbelievers walking away from it. But I'm a believer, Lord. I believe it. Let me touch the border of your garment. You speak back through that preacher up there and do the same work you did when we was here on earth through your church. And I'll know that I belong into that church because by one spirit I'm baptized into that body. Yes, indeed. You say that and believe it. Now, everybody reverent for a moment and sit quiet just for a moment. God bless you. If I don't get to see you, if the Spirit of Heaven strike me and don't get to tell you goodbye before I leave, I won't say goodbye. I'll say the German word, Auf Wiedersehen. That means we'll meet again. We'll meet again somewhere. If not, you're across the river. We'll see you on that side. And I stand there at the day of the judgment. And this day flashes up on the screen of God's bar there. You'll see I've told you the truth. I've been honest with you. I haven't held anything back. I've just placed it the way the Word says it. And there it is. Now, Almighty God, come on the scene and let these people know that your servant is not here for no other purpose but because you sent. Now, Father, I've spoke of you. You speak of me and I've told the truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Now have faith in God. Don't doubt. All right, now look up this way and believe. Believe, please. In your heart, be saying, Lord God, just pray. See if God can tell me what you're praying about. See if it's the Holy Spirit or not. This little fellow out here on the end, sitting out here on the end of the front row here, kept his head down, kept praying. He's praying. He's trying to ask God to get rid of that asthma. If you believe, is that right? Raise up your hand if that's right. Well, you just left you. That ain't the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is Jesus Christ? Is that right? Look at this man sitting out here looking at me. He's praying for a sister-in-law. It's real, real sick. That's right. If you believe with all your heart, you can have what you ask. Amen. God bless you. That's right. You see, he's here. Don't you know that? Look at this lady sitting here, kind of elderly lady sitting there. She's praying because she's got something wrong with her neck. Pains and things keeps running through her neck, bothering her. That's right, lady, isn't it? That's right. Raise up your hand. All right. Receive your healing. Go and be made well. Do you see he's here? Do you believe it? Now, can't you be perseverant to stand there and say, if the presence of Jesus Christ is here and knows a very secret of her heart, and the Bible said that the Word of God is powerful than a two-edged sword and a discerner of the thoughts of the heart. How could that be the Word of God? If ye abide in me and my Word in you, I was baptized into his body, his Word abides in here, then ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Amen. Why can't we be perseverant? Believe with all of our heart. How many of you people in here that's got prayer cards over in this line here wants to be prayed for? Raise up your hand. All right. How many hasn't got prayer cards and wants to be prayed for? By the way, how many ministers are here today that's godly men that believes in divine healing? I don't ask you what denomination you belong to now. You can belong to any denomination you want to, but you believe in divine healing. And you're interested in God healing the people, trying to make life a little, a little better for them, to ease up the pains as they journey on. And you believe in divine healing. Raise up your hand. Ministers. 
All right, I'm going to ask you to come here and stand and form a line with me. That when I'm gone, that the people see it isn't me. You have just as much right to pray for the sick as I do. Any minister of God that's ordained of God has a right. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them and believe. If they lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. What preachers preach the gospel to every creature? I want the ministers to come here and just make a double line right here. I'm going to stand right between you. Right down here, we're going to pass the sick and afflicted right through here. Now, and the people that's coming, when you come, don't come to one of us. You come as you're obeying like he's going into the baptismal pool. Come down. And when these ministers lay hands upon you, along with myself, believe that you're going to get healed and be made well. Now, we only want ministers, ministers of the gospel. Just ministers. All right, I want them to form a double line right here, making an alley like between them, a little road down between them, the ministers of the gospel. Thank you, my brethren, for your fine cooperation. You're the cream of the crop. I appreciate you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, remember, you're interested in these people getting healed. And you've come to show your faith in God that you believe and believe that divine healing is right. Now, every person here that belongs to these congregations ought to be proud of their minister, ought to be thankful for a servant that will stand here and represent Christ in the midst of conflict and still believe it because they know that the very God that they love and serve, he's the one who knows the heart. And whenever you get sick hereafter or something other, your pastor has a right to pray for you. Do you love God? All right. Now, I want Brother Roy Borders to come up here to the microphone. Now, I'm going to come down there among the people. He will direct the congregation how that they must come through the line. You people will start over on this side, coming right through with ministers praying for you, laying hands on you. Then this row here, he'll tell you how to come out and come around. Come one way so we won't get mixed up. And every person that desires to be prayed for may be prayed for. Let us bow our heads now. My minister, brothers, you pray with all your hearts. Just, just. Our Heavenly Father, grant this now. The great moment has arrived. I've done my very best, Lord, to try to show people that in the Bible, the people that were persistent was the one that got the blessings of God because they believed. They had the promise. They believed the promise. And they obeyed the promise. And nothing kept them from it. Now, most gracious Father, these people have sat still this afternoon. These are in here. They've listened because they have a reason. They've come to find your mercy. You've appeared before us in a great phenomenon and showing that you're still Jesus and that you're here and the church is receiving its last warning. Father God, I know that's went over and over and over to people. They've heard it, but one time they're going to hear it the last time. How do we know it won't be today? There's people sitting here today, maybe people been in here today, that'll be dead before in the morning. How them voice will ring out in their ears through the ceaseless eternity under. How they'll walk away from the truth of God. Oh, I pray, Father, that these precious believers that you're now will be healed, every one of them. I pray that these men of God, your servants, that you've got five offices in the church. You said you had ordained in the church first apostles, then prophets teachers, pastors, and evangelists. 
God, you set them in the church. Maybe they cannot prophesy and say things. Maybe they do not have discernment. But there are men who are teachers and pastors. Me preaching hard. They stand right here to say it's the truth. They recognize it. They believe it. God, honor those men. Honor them. Bless their congregations. May an old-fashioned revival break out in every one of them, Lord. Granted. And get those predestinated seeds that's laying around here on the island before it's ever too late. We know you'll grant it. Now, as we step down, honor their prayers as they pray. When they lay their hands upon them, Lord, ministerial hands that set aside for the kingdom of God. May you hear and answer prayer. May every sick person that passes down this line go out of this line praising God like Abraham. It's going to happen anyhow because God said so. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and God shall raise them up. If they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. God said so. And it's going to be somebody will be made well. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask it. Amen. I want the organist, if she will, play with all your heart, all that you can, and make it. Now, congregation singing, only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Brother Borders will do the directing now of the prayer. God bless you. Now, if I could have Things are possible. Only I was checking hands coming through. People, did you notice me getting your hand and holding it up like this? You remember you Canadians, the first time I ever saw you, and I could only know by laying my hands up on the person's hands. How many remembers it? Remember, this gift was first manifested to me in Canada, in Regina, with Brother Ern Baxter that night when I prophesied and told you that he told me that someday, if I'd be reverent this way, that, that I would know the very secret of their heart. How many remembers me saying that years ago? The Bible said, if there be one among you, spiritual or prophet, and what he says comes to pass, then hear him. Hear me. Jesus Christ loves you all. And I checked those hands coming through, and a great percent of them was already vibration stopped by the time they got to me here. When the ministers had laid hands on them, they'd already been healed before they'd even got to me. Brother Bisco, God bless you. I just recognize you now. Being there. Brother Eddie's daddy, God bless you. May everlasting grace of God ever abound with you until we see again. And then we would say, till we meet, till we meet. Let's raise our hands now. Pray for me. I need your prayers. I love you with undying love. When I speak to you the way I do, it's in love because I love you. Bless you, brethren. You're fine for Eddie. God be with you. Let us bow our heads now. I'm going to ask Brother Eddie if he won't come here and whatever is on his heart to say. I'll be leaving pretty soon now for overseas. Can I depend on you praying for me? Do that. With godly love, I'll never forget Victoria. Remember this island. God bless you till I see you again. Brother Ed.